Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. And today I want to I wanna kind of set up this dichotomy today, and I want to talk to you about the, the differences of, of Savior and self. And I, I want to read a story to you. It's a very famous story. It's actually found in, um, in three out of the four Gospels. And so when, when anything is found in, in three of the four Gospels, you know its, its level of collective importance. And each Gospel actually kind of shows a, a, another little side to the story. And um, it's a famous story, but I don't want you to check out because I believe God's uh, given me something to speak to you and to us and to the whole world about this story. And, and I, I think that you're going to learn, and if your heart is open, I think that you're going to be changed. Can you say amen? amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 10. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put it on the, on the screen as well. Mark, chapter 10. It's the story of the rich, young ruler. The rich, young ruler. It says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, speaking of Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is leaving Judea. He's leaving the region of Galilee, where he's done most of his miracles and, and, and lived most of his ministry life. He's leaving Judea to go down to Jerusalem. And this is the final time Jesus will make this journey on planet Earth into Jerusalem, because there he's going to meet the cross, and he's going to suffer and die in our place and receive resurrection and give us resurrection. So this is the journey that Jesus is setting out on. It's the journey for our salvation. And at that moment, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has the right desire. He wants eternal life. He knows there's something more than just the present. And so he's asking the eternal God for eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why are you calling me good? He's challenging right now, who do you think that I am? And, and here I've added uh, in, um, oh, I, I guess we didn't get it. We just took Mark. But I have it in my notes because I want to read you what's in Matthew as well. I'm kind of combining all the versions so you can get a full picture. In Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, okay, if you want to have eternal life, keep the commandments. And then this is when the guy instantly starts getting technical. He goes, all right, which ones? Which commandments specifically? It's like when Jesus said, love your neighbor. And the guy's like, well, who, who technically is my neighbor? Tell me exactly who and what. Which ones? And so Jesus, he says, you know, you know which commandments there are. You know what they are. He says, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And in Matthew, he asked this follow-up question. He says, so what do I still lack? I've done all those things. What am I missing? What do I not have? In verse 21, the Bible says, in Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
And Jesus, he looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to him again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Amen. Today I want to I want to talk to you about moving from from being an influencer and we're kind of in the generation of influencers to a true follower. Today I want to I want to talk to you about moving from being an influencer to a true follower. And, and I think the problem in this story starts, it's really, it's really comes to a head when this young man hears from Jesus and, and he can't accept what Jesus has, so he walked away from Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. He walked away from Jesus, but he walked towards something. And any time we walk away from Jesus, we're walking towards ourself. He walked away from Jesus, but he walked towards his self. And so my goal today is to move our community. Move our church, move our A-team, move our crews, move you here, move you on the, on the live stream, move you from a self-oriented lifestyle to a salvation-oriented lifestyle, from self to Savior. One of our core values, the first core value of our church is Jesus is our everything. But you know, you could say it this way too, Jesus over everything. Now, I know this might not be fully, fully true, but it is something we value, and it's an aspirational value. And in other words, this is how we're orienting ourselves, Jesus over everything. Less of me, more of him. Let me pray for you right now. God, I, I pray right now as I speak, may your Holy Spirit come, and may you speak, Lord God. And in this story, may we find ourselves, and may we see you. And Jesus, I pray that Today, we move towards becoming a true follower of you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. The first thing we see with this young, rich, young ruler is that, is that he, 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 he's searching. And, and, and this is really the place many of us find ourselves in. We're in a place of searching. Some of you have come to church today because you've tried so many other things, and now this is the next stop on the never-ending quest to find fulfillment, to find the reason you were created, to find how to have eternal life. You, you have temporary life, and maybe it's even a good life, but you know you need something more, and so you're, you're searching. This young man had everything and yet was still searching for the next thing, for the real thing, for the more thing. And, and, and it just strikes me that he just barely misses the mark. I mean, he's so, so close. He's searching for life, and he comes to Jesus. That's close. I mean, physically, literally, Jesus. 
And then when he finds Jesus, he falls down at his feet. And, and, and the picture is him grasping the, the ankles, grasping the legs of Jesus. It's a, a totally humble approach. And, and don't forget, this was a rich, young influencer. This guy, he had all of the things that we would put together as someone that's made it, as someone that solved some things, as someone that's got it going on. This guy, this guy, he's ahead of the curve. I mean, I mean, not many times you hear of a rich young person, but 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 this person has 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 inherited or received wealth at an early age, and more than that, he's a ruler. And this wasn't just an appointed thing; this was something he had to. Uh, kind of walk his way into. This authority, I, I should say, wasn't just given to him. He had to attain it. He had to acquire it because he was a ruler in the synagogue, which means he would have been respected by all the other people around, the disciples and the elders. This guy seemed to be the complete package. He was rich, but he was also a good man. And he was also an authority, and he had influence with people. And, and it seems like we're in a culture that's absolutely obsessed with influence. You know, we call leadership influence, even though I think if you, were to def- you were, if you were to put that definition on Jesus, it seemed like he wouldn't be that much of a leader because he only had influence on, you know, 12 or so people. Because I don't think leadership is the same as influence. That's besides the point. But, but we are a generation that's obsessed with influence. It's like we don't necessarily care why people are looking as long as they're looking, right? And, and this is what this person is, is He's gotten his life. He's got the money. He's got the wealth. He's got the goodness. He's got the prestige. He's got the honor. He's got the authority. And he knows something's missing. And and he comes before Jesus. He comes to the right place at the right time with the right person. And then he asks pretty close to the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's amazing to me how close this person got. And more than that, he calls him a good teacher. Uh, we might think like, oh yeah, you know, obviously Jesus was a good teacher. But you got to understand that phraseology was reserved not for rabbis. He didn't say rabbi, he didn't say master, he said good teacher. That phraseology was reserved for God. He's gotten so close that he recognizes that Jesus isn't like anyone else. You know, he knows I got the money and I've got the wealth and I've got the authority, but I still am not like him. So he says, good teacher. How close this person gets to Jesus as God falls at his feet, and then he, he, he's searching for the right thing, which is eternal life. And I don't know about you, but to me, I, I find it kind of baffling that a young person is even thinking about eternal life. Because young people predominantly live in the present. And here, this young person is not just questioning his existence, he's questioning what happens after his existence. And he's thinking about the things that are to come, even at a young age. I don't know about you, but already I'm blown away by this guy. This, this is a good man. This is a guy that's really searching. And he comes before Jesus, but he just misses the mark. He just barely misses it. And how? It's because he asks, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's the problem, is what can you do? What must I do? It's a simple answer. Nothing you can't do. And this is the the process he's going to have to go through. It, it, I think that he approaches Jesus with this. You can see his mentality saying, what must I do? You see his mentality. You, you see that, that he's grown up around wealth. He's acquired a lot of things, and now he wants to acquire and attain eternal life. 
And so he's, he's coming before Jesus almost as if, tell me the plan of action. Let's make a business deal here. Let's make a transaction. You tell me what you need, and I'll make it happen. So, so just tell me what must, what must I do to get eternal life. I've got a good life. I've got wealth. I've got riches. I've, I've got fame. I've got notoriety, and I've got influence. Now I just want to add Jesus or add eternal life to my already stellar life. Before we judge him, we got to acknowledge that we're just like him. We're just like him. We ask the same wrong question before God. What good things must I do to be blessed by God? And God says, your righteousness is as filthy rags before me. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. But don't you hear it all the time? When you invite someone to church, they say, oh, I'm not good enough to go there. Good? What does good have to do with it? You're not that good. Even at the height of your goodness, you're nothing compared to Jesus. You know, he's, 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 he's approaching it in the way he's approached everything. You tell me, what must I do to make this business transaction? What prayer do I have to pray? What sum do I have to pay? Who do I have to know? What do I have to do? It's the action. He's action-oriented. He, he, you could see he would be like a businessman. And, and sometimes we approach Jesus this way, trying to add him to our already stellar life, and we turn Christianity or Jesus following into a checklist. I call it checklist Christianity. Checklist church. I've got, you know, I've got my, my healthy eating. I've got a good relationship. I've got my 1.5 kids. I don't know, 2.5? What's the average? I've got, and, and now, just to be sure, I go to church every other Sunday because I have to acquire, check, 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 eternal life. And Jesus is saying, it's not a checklist. It's not a checklist. It's not something you can acquire and attain. He, he, he's so close, but he's, he's about to miss, he's about to miss the mark. He's about to miss the whole thing because he's looking, he's looking to acquire Jesus in, in a checklist sort of way. And, and come on, we do this all the time. You know, how many times do we say stuff like, oh, you know, my spiritual life is going really well. You have multiple lives? What are you, a cat? My spiritual life. I got my spiritual life. I've got my work life. How's your, how's your work life, work family life balance? You have all these different lives. We've tried to silo out portions of our lives. Okay, now this is doing okay. Now this is doing all right. I need to work on this a little bit, this area of my life. As if we're like the little kid that doesn't want the, the peas and the mashed potatoes to touch. We've got God over here. We've got the stuff that God doesn't touch over here. We've got our, our relationships over here, and, and we just want to make sure everything is balanced, which, by the way, Jesus is totally uninterested in balance. He's into radical discipleship, faithful following, his whole life given for us, us given to him. That's what he's into. Jesus takes the plate, and he just gets those peas and everything. You know, it's just who he is. Ah, puts it back down. Deal with it. I'm not going to say I've done that to my child, but I'm, I don't want him to become, you know, like that. But that's how we are. We want to kind of keep everything separate. And this is what this person's saying. He's saying, I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler, and now I just need my spiritual life. So what do I have to do to acquire that, God? Just tell me what to do. How many times do I have to go to church? Are you the right person? Should I go to another? Are, are, are you the one? How many times should I pray the certain prayer? What saint should I follow? And, and, and he's so close, so close, asking the right person about the right thing but doesn't understand 
that there's no, there's no difference here, that every part of your life is spiritual, and Jesus wants all of it. He wants all of it. So even when he comes and says, good teacher, Jesus instantly checks him. He instantly checks him. He says, hey, why are you calling me good? Now, some people would say, well, it seems like Jesus is saying that he's not God here because he says only God is good. No, what Jesus is saying is he's challenging this person's perception of him. He says, essentially, why are you coming to me? Good teacher. Hold on. Do you mean that? You say good, but do you mean it because only God is good? What Jesus is saying is, do you recognize me? Are, Are you there? Man, he's so close. And Jesus is saying, you're one step away. Say good teacher, but mean it. God. You're the one. Good teacher. He's so close. Here's the reality. Jesus will not, he will not be siloed out as just a guru or a teacher or just one to help your life along. If you come to Jesus, he first and foremost says, but am I God in your life? Am I first in your life? Does everything come second after me? And so Jesus, I love him. He just checks him. He says, are you calling me God? And the guy has to kind of brush it off, like, oh, okay. Because uh, later on, he calls him teacher again, but he drops the good, you know? Because he's trying to make sure, am I saying the right thing? Uh, so I guess, uh, teacher, you know? He's, he instantly confronts you with a choice. And that's how good God is, by the way. God, God doesn't let you float forever. He checks you and gives you choices over and over and over. That's why the Holy Spirit speaks to you and it says, are you, want, are you sure you want to do that? Is that the place you want to go? Is that the decision you want to make? Is that the relationship you want to have? What is God doing? God's saying, is, is this my plan for you? He always gives you the choice, but he makes sure he's clear as to who you are, who he is. And he says, am I first? Am I going to be honored by this? Am I going to be magnified in this? Is this my best for you? Good teacher, are you sure? Are you ready to recognize me as God? Here's why we have to get this, and I've got a lot more to preach, but here's why we have to get this. We have to get this because if you don't recognize him as God, everything else goes a certain way. You have to begin from the frame of reference that I'm coming to you, Jesus, as God. And whatever you say, I accept as God in my life. Good teacher, and he says, are you sure? Because only God is good. Are you prepared to recognize me as that? And then... And then he, 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 he answers his question completely literally. He says, how can I achieve salvation? Jesus almost doesn't answer it with the New Testament persuasion. He almost answers it with the Old Testament persuasion. In other words, oh, you want to get salvation? You want to attain it. You think you're able to be enough, do enough, and make it happen. Okay, here's what you got to do. you got to keep all the commandments. I've already given you the way. The Ten Commandments came down on Mount Sinai. This is how you can get into heaven, keep all the commandments. And so instantly, this young man's feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, which ones? Let's get technical here. What exactly should I or should I not do? Tell me literally. I want it written down. I want you to name it. Which commandments? And so Jesus, he gives him six commandments, and they're all the commandments that deal with mankind towards mankind. They're all the ones that deal horizontally. They're the ones that, that, that are how you treat those around you. And he's saying, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't, um, don't, don't bear false witness, don't lie about people, honor your father and mother. Have you done all these things? And this is like, you can hear the, the sigh, you know? You can just hear it. Whew! Yeah! I did those! All six of them! Woo-hoo! Oh, from my youth. I, I, you know, maybe when I was young, young, I'm not sure. But from my youth, when it counts, I kept those commandments, God. You could, just, you could just feel it, you know, like I did it. 
You ever be having a good day and you tell God you're doing good? Woo! God, woo, passed that test, overcame that temptation, went to church two weeks in a row. Where's my star? I need the gold star. You know? And it's like, it's always, it's always when you feel that rising up, which by the way is subtle pride, spiritual pride, Jesus will check it and remind you that it's grace. It's grace. It's grace that gives you access. So, so, so here it rises up and he says, keep all those commandments. And this young man says, thank God, I've done all that. I, I, I've kept all those commandments. I, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. And, and I wonder, and I don't, I don't mean to be cynical, but I wonder, really? You really kept all those commandments? There's just six of them. But I don't know if you kept all six of them. Like maybe, maybe murder he didn't do, but you honored your father and mother, which by the way, that came earlier in the commandments, but Jesus put it last. I wonder as if Jesus was saying, and honor your father and mother. I don't know. I don't know, but, but my question is, even if you, or my thought is, even if you kept those commandments literally, you didn't keep the spirit of the commandment, which is what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same thing. I said, don't commit adultery, but if you lust after someone deep in your heart, it's the same thing. What's Jesus doing? He's raising the standard to an impossible place. So when he says, how might I attain salvation? Jesus is saying, you're going to have to be perfect. And by the way, it's going to be impossible. Because man looks at the outward, the actions, but God looks right at the heart. And, and, so, and so Jesus is raising the standard. And, and the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that includes this young person. And so he says, teacher, I've kept them. And, 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 and here's the moment where he realized that he's still unfulfilled. Have you ever been to that place where you realize you're still missing something? He said, Lord, well, what more do I lack? I've got everything. Rich young ruler, kept all the commandments, standing before Jesus, but he's missing something. What more do I lack? Have you ever found yourself in this place where you're saying, I'm doing my best, but I'm missing something? Maybe you're at church here today, and, and, and you... You're a good person. No one can deny that, but you're missing something. Now we're going deeper where this young man's heart is telling him a deep truth. You've done this all, but that's why you're here before Jesus, because you know you're missing something. It's amazing. The man that has everything is missing something. And he says, Jesus, what is it that I'm missing? So I got all the stuff that was supposed to fulfill me. I've got the influence and the fame or the authority. I've got the place at work, the people that respond to me. I've got all the wealth. I could buy all the possessions, and I'm still missing something. What do you do when you're unfulfilled, even though you have all the things that you thought would fulfill you? And this is where this person's at, and he's asking, he's asking Jesus, you have to help me through this because I know I'm have you ever forgotten something and you don't know what you've forgotten? You know? Like you think you forgot your keys, but you got your keys. Check your phone, check your wallet. What am I missing? This is where he's at, and he has that spiritual sense. By the way, if you feel that, I want you to know that's placed there by God so that it might be a compass to direct you towards God. You're missing someone. What more am I missing? And, and, and he's driven to the feet of Jesus by by this, by this desire. And what I love is in this moment, the Bible says this most incredible verse. It says, and Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. I, 
I just think you need to know this about Jesus today. He's looking right at you, and he loves you. Don't you think that's amazing? He's not looking over and beyond him. i got to start this journey. Get out of the way. You're not going to make it anyways. He's looking right at him. In the midst of his, his upside-downness, all of his questions, all of his, and, he's, and he's loving him. In this moment, Jesus is so present, looking at him and loving him. And, and I just get the sense that he's loving him like as a father loves a child. Because here he presents to Jesus and he said, I've done everything. And I know Jesus knows. Jesus is like, I know everything about you. No, you haven't kept all those commandments. Are you kidding me? And Jesus could start naming it off. And uh, I was going to say 1994, but that would be my life. <laughs> In 24 BC, I remember you did this. He could name all of the instances. Then he could go into the heart. But instead of, instead of condemning, instead of um, embarrassing, instead of shaming, instead of, instead of piling guilt on, instead of exposing him in front of all of his friends and all of the disciples, Jesus looks at him, sees his insufficiencies, sees the lack, sees the reason for the lack, and the Bible says, and he loved him. That's who God is. He looks directly at us. He knows us completely and chooses to love us. It's like a father to his child. He loves through our lack. And I wonder if he loves even because of our lack. He knows what, what we're insufficient in. He knows what we're not good enough in, and that moves him to compassion. Some of you that are parents here, if your kid has ever given you a drawing that they've made, you don't grab that drawing and start criticizing the shading and the background, and the trees don't seem happy enough, and, and there's just a lot of things wrong. You're outside of the lines. No, you love your child somehow even like more. There's like a burst of love because of the lack. The lack of skill is what makes you see your child in a brand new way. You love them, you know? And that's who Jesus is. My, my son just started soccer. He's four years old. And uh, it was the first time ever we put him out on the field. We didn't know that there were going to be uh, six-year-olds that have been playing for two years, you know? So he was so cute, he bounced out there, it says Boyce on the back, you know, which was awesome for me. I loved it. And, uh, and he's playing, and I'm not going to lie to you, he's not very good at soccer, you know? He's only four, so give him a break, you know, but he's not very good yet. And, and, and he thinks if someone else has the, the ball, it's polite for you to back away. They got the ball, you know? And I'm over at the side like, get in there, get in there, fly tackle, you know? <laughs> like that dad, you know? But he's like polite, and, and it, the ball's going everywhere, and they're just, they're just chasing it, you know, like, a, like a, just a, a horde of, of children, you know. And when he runs back over, we don't, I'm not frustrated with him. I'm not saying like, are you for real? We need to work on your speed. We need to work on your timing, you know. What's going on? I love him somehow more because of his lack. And I'm watching him get bowled over by these construction workers, six-year-olds, and I love him. I'm so proud of him. And he comes over and it's like, you're going to go all the way, son. You're going to go all the way. You know? Yeah, I'm running him through drills now, though, for next week. Oh. And I just think that's, that's like this, this young man comes before Jesus. Jesus looks at his lack, looks at him, and loves him. And I just want you to know that's, 
That's who Jesus is to you. So when you come to Jesus asking the wrong questions, when you come with, with the wrong um, opinion, if it, when you come with the stuff all mixed up, Jesus will lovingly speak to you, spend time with you, correct you, realign you. But, but most of all, he's going to love you. He's going to love you in and through your lack because that's who Jesus is. He's, Paul says this, he said, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And, and so this is where Jesus challenges him then. Because he's still on the track that he can somehow attain salvation. And, and again, this is, just, this is just what we believe so deeply, thinking I must do, so I must get. And so Jesus says, okay, if you want to be perfect then. And that's the word he uses, if you want to be perfect then. Because that's the only way to salvation is perfection. So if you want to be perfect, what you lack is, is selling all you have giving it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And what I, what I find amazing about, about this, this section, you know, is every single time I've heard a lot of preachers preach this, and, and a lot of times when we read this, we, we focus on the sell all you have. And I get it, that, that's, a big, that's a big part of it, you know. But, but you know what's amazing about this is at the end, Jesus said to this young man, come and follow me. Like the only other people he said that that we have recordings of is to his disciples, but he's saying, come and follow me. How many times have we imagined as a Christian, like, man, I, I would love to hear those physical, actual, audible words from Jesus. Come, follow me. What is selling all you have in light of those words? Come and be my physical disciple here and now. What an invitation. What an extension of grace. Come and follow me. But what I'm what I find amazing is how Jesus frames it. He says, this is what you lack. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. It's interesting. He says, what do I lack? And, and, and in kind of a twist of irony, Jesus is saying, what you lack is having too much stuff. Like, what, what, you, what you lack is having too much stuff and keeping it all. I wonder, I wonder if this relates to us at all. We're the richest, wealthiest generation in the history of humankind. Even the poorest among us are wealthier than anyone who's ever lived in the history of humankind. And yet with all that we have, there's still something lacking deep inside us. We know we're missing something. And Jesus is saying the solution isn't in the great possessions. That is actually the thing causing you to lack me. Do, do you see how Jesus, oh, he's so brilliant. Do you see how he, how, he, how he kind of brings him to this place is he exposes that this man has another God. The reason you lack is because you're worshiping a poor God. You're worshiping an idol of money. You're worshiping an idol of wealth. And so Jesus instantly comes at that thing and he, he, he brings up the first commandment, which you will have no other God before me. You will make no graven images with your hand. See, he, he had done okay on the sixth Last six commandments, but the first, the second, that's where he had a problem, is the reality is he had replaced Jesus, he had replaced God with money. That was now his God. And any other God that you put in the place of the one and only God will only, will only release lack over your life. Will only bless you with lack. And so his great possessions weren't enough. There was something that he could not get from money that he needed a one true God to get. And, and maybe that's not your idol, but I wonder what is your idol? Because we think we're beyond that, right? We don't have a little area of our home where you open it and there's weird candles and odd things hanging and a little graven image that you made out of a stump in your backyard. We think we're so advanced. We're evolved. 
We're beyond that. We don't have idols like that any longer. But see, this guy's idol, it didn't physically exist. It was just money. That was his idol. But I wonder what your idol is. For many of us, our idol is ourselves. For this generation, our idol is self. This is who we worship. We worship us. As strange as it would seem, we worship our intellect. We worship our education, our career path, our decisions. We worship our emotions. We worship our impulses. We get an impulse. We say, I felt it. Therefore, it must be me. Therefore, I must do it because I bow before my impulses. You don't even know where that came from. You don't even know what those emotions are. Have you ever tried to tell yourself not to feel a certain way? You're not even in charge of your emotions, and yet you worship them. All right. Getting too tough? I I just, I just, I wonder if our idol collectively has become self, especially when we have everything. We've become everything, and now we stand as our own God, and we're going to have to save ourselves if we're going to be worshiping ourselves. And you might say, well, I I don't worship myself. Well, Well, let's do a little bit of a thought experiment here. All of us have set up profiles and accounts and pages towards ourselves. So you might not have made something and put it in your closet, but you got something and you hold it everywhere you go. And you spend a lot of time in prayer. You check it nonstop every single hour. You're wondering about yourself. And oh, it's not the real you. No way. It is the best you with the best filter, taken at the best light at your most stunning moment. And it is the Greek God version of yourself. You are your own Zeus. You are your own Apollos. You are your own mythic creation. And you put it out for others to adore. And you say, no, I would never receive the praises of man. But we're looking for those likes, aren't we? We're looking for those those hearts. We're looking for that that affirmation. And and the affirmation is just praise. And we, we want it. And we need it. And we desperately desire it. And so we're checking, checking, checking. And then as a God, we give out our proverbs and our musings. We give out our thoughts on all the different subjects and we set out our God's word and we're looking for the amens. And the more amens we get, the more close to God our thoughts and musings and creations of our own mind are. And we lift them up and we're looking for our followers. Oh, and we do have followers, by the way. In fact, we know exactly how many followers we have. And we're watching who's following and unfollowing because we know our followers. We're looking for our followers to become evangelists, share our musings, engage with us, spend time with me, not literally, not literally, because I would never spend actual time with you, barely know you, but I want your affirmation, I want your praise, but I certainly want to give nothing back. And so we're looking we need ambassadors to share our posts, share our thoughts, retweet, repost, and, 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 and spread the, the gospel of me. Don't tell me you don't have a temple set up. Your body is a temple. Some of you have taken that quite literally and show a whole lot of that temple. Way too much. And then we can really play God, can't we? Because if someone disagrees with us, we can ban them. We can literally kick Adam and Eve out of our own Garden of Eden. You no longer get to receive me. You no longer get to engage with me. You no longer get the glory of my presence. You're banished now. And, and, and even, even in our relationships, we're, we're, we're able to, 
We're able to go for or look for a mate. And, and I want to say this very carefully. I'm in dangerous waters, I know. But, but in finding a mate, it's, 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 it's again, it's, a, it's like a godlike thing. Now you just get to swipe right or swipe left on what they look like. Like your King Xerxes choosing a concubine. Caligula would be horrified at what this generation is able to do. Everything about it says me. The almighty me. The powerful me. The venerated me. And I know all the stats about my religion. And then we say, why can't I connect with God? What am I missing? Where's the disconnect? Why can't I access God anymore? You say, things like, I just don't feel his presence. Yeah, because you've replaced his presence. I, I just don't feel his salvation. Yes, because you have set up the idol unto thine self. And now you have to save yourself. And you can't answer your own prayers. You need a savior. You need a God. You need to become second, aligned to who is first, the only one who deserves your worship, the only one who's worthy of your praise. You were not designed to receive the worship of mankind. You were designed to give worship to someone who is greater than yourself. And it brings yourself into alignment. And only there will you find what you're lacking. What you're lacking. Where's God? He's waiting for you. Draw near to me, he says. And I will draw near to you. Make no mistake, the idol of self can replace salvation in your life. And Jesus is calling you to abandon that and come and follow me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, get rid of it completely and come and follow me. Make some very real, tangible, physical decisions. For this person, his idol was his money. So he says, you need to get rid of that thing because that's the thing that's become, my, that's become God. You need to get rid of the God so that you can come before the one true God. This is the, the action that you have to make. And, and this young man says, I'm not, I'm not able to do this. And, and, and you know what the scary thing to me is? Jesus let him walk away. That, that blows my mind. Because I, I, I feel like if it wasn't Jesus, a lot of us would disagree with that action. Don't let him walk away. Come on, you asked too great of a thing. It's not like Jesus went after him and said, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Come on. I'm glad you came to me, buddy. Come on. Come here. Come on. You got some water? You got some water? We'll have some wine. Come here. Sit down. Jesus didn't say, no, no. You know what? I thought about it. Just tithe. Just 10%. I don't need 100%. Just 10%. Just tithe. Don't give it to me. Give it to the temple. You know, they'll distribute it. Just tithe. Jesus doesn't run after him saying, you know what? Think about it. Think about it. Just come hang out with Peter. See, what, see, see if you like it, you know? Just hang with him. we got a great crew. Join the crew and then just see if you feel like following me, you know, and, and giving up that idol. No, Jesus lets him walk away. He lets him walk away. Here's why. Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to give you the choice to have eternal life. The choice. He doesn't treat you as, as a robot or a slave. He doesn't force eternal life on you. He comes only to present the choice of eternal life. Do you want to serve yourself, or serve your things, or serve your money, or serve your lifestyle, or do you want to serve the only one who's worthy of your serving? That's me. He gives this young man the choice, and, and as he walks away, and as he misses his calling, he, he, he turns to his disciples, and he says, 
It's very difficult for someone who's wealthy to come into salvation. In fact, it's actually impossible for someone who's wealthy to come into salvation. This freaks us out as Christians because we're saying, well, I don't want to be wealthy. But see, this is what Jesus is actually saying. He's saying it's impossible for anyone to come into salvation. It's not just wealth. It's anything but Jesus. Anything but Jesus will keep you out of salvation. And Jesus is saying if you're going to try to get there by your perfection, by your actions, by yourself, by your money, by your circumstances, you won't make it. It's going to be impossible. It's got to be, it's got to be me. It's got to be me. Jesus will not Jesus won't dumb it down. He won't water it down. He says this. He says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. The disciples' reaction is pretty amazing. They must have known this person. After Jesus said that, disciples just kind of gave up. They say, like, Jesus, who can be saved then? Come on, that guy that guy? You know how good that guy is? Peter's like, me? Compared to him? Who could be saved then? It's impossible. It's impossible. And this is where Jesus gives us our our brilliant hope. He says what's impossible with man is possible with God. The whole point of this whole encounter was for Jesus to show us that he is the only one who can save. But with him, You, me, everyone is able to be saved. So the question is, what can you do to be saved? Absolutely nothing. But Jesus did everything. Listen to this. Jesus is the true rich young ruler. Think about this. At the beginning of his journey, when he's headed to the cross, this young ruler grabs onto him and tries to achieve salvation. It's the best man that could ever step forward, and he's not enough. But Jesus was more than enough. He was the rich. He had all the wealth of heaven at his command. He was young at the age of 33 to give up his life. He was the ruler for the heavens, the stars, the suns. They bow before Jesus. And the journey that Jesus is about to take is a journey towards the cross. And so as this young man says, I'm not enough and walks away in sadness, it's like Jesus said, then I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll give up everything that I ever had so that you might be able to come to me. Jesus did what no one else could do so that we might find salvation in him. He was the rich young ruler that gave up it all. He was perfect, but didn't choose that as something to cling to, but instead took on our sin and our shame to give us salvation as a free gift. You just thank Jesus right now for what he's done for you. And so Jesus, Jesus did all of that so that you might be saved. Will you stand on your feet in this place? In the midst of all of this, Peter, he reminds Jesus, you know, he's, Peter's the man. He says everything we wish we would say. He's a voice for the disciples. And Peter reminds Jesus saying, hey, hey, we left everything and followed you, remember? And this is Jesus' promise. And I believe it's Jesus' promise over you and over me. If we have that verse, we can put it up. It's okay, I got it. 
why you need a physical Bible. Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this, truly I say to you, now you just listen to this, just close your eyes, listen to this promise from Jesus. He says, I say to you, there is, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall become first. This is Jesus' promise over you and over me. He promises eternal life. He promises a hundredfold and he promises that the last shall become first. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Oh,